You're listening to the Primary Medicine Podcast with Kevin and Dimitri, bringing you the best in primary care CME that you can use in your everyday practice. Welcome back, Kevin, to the Primary Medicine Podcast. I'm really lucky to have a great guest again today. It's uh, Dr. Manan Shah, who is an ENT uh, who specializes in allergy, and he's from, from the States. And really, today's topic, I've, I've separated two big ideas. And one of them is the medical. And the medical part of it is, I want to talk about sublingual immunotherapy for allergic rhinoconjunctivitis. Now, as a primary care physician, I've seen an increase in this issue. Um, and maybe we can talk a bit about that. And so far in Canada, the, we've had the injection treatment, less so the lingual treatment. So I really want to discuss it. The second part of the, the this topic is very exciting is just Dr. Shah is, is, is a co-founder of the company called Windley. And what they've done, in my opinion, is a very innovative way of actually increasing access to this therapy in the States. And in, this, in, the, in the Canada, access is a big issue, like a huge issue. In the States, I'm assuming less so. But, but again, I'm very interested to talk about this because, because we need solutions in Canada. We need solutions with access. And, and Dr. Shah has, has, has one, I think. So, so Dr. Shah, I, I do want to start off by asking some medical questions. So first of all, statistically, I mean, obviously I've seen more of it, but is it true that allergic rhinoconjunctivitis is increasing generally in the, in the population? Or is it something that I've just noticed more? Do, do, you, do you have any idea? So yes. And actually, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for having me today. We're so excited to be on the podcast. Uh, big fan. So to answer your question, allergic rhinoconjunctivitis is increasing. We've actually seen almost a doubling of the number of people that have allergies in the past 20 years. And there's a number of reasons for that, which we can get into, but it seems to be both environmental and also some changes, essentially environmental in both our climate sense and also in the sense of how we're living. And then, you know, there are also things that we perhaps don't understand as to why they are increasing. 50%. Okay. All right. So I'm not imagining. I'm, I'm, I am seeing it a lot. And I think I've started having allergies too. So it's it's coming from me as well. So obviously you have the usual treatments for this. You know, you have your nasal steroids, you have your antihistamines. Um, but for people with, I guess, more severe allergies, you have other options. And one of the options we have a lot in Canada and I've done a lot of, in fact, my wife did it, is subcutaneous immunotherapy which are injections. And quite frankly, it works, but holy crap, is it hard on the patient? I don't know if some of your listeners maybe know, but in the beginning of this therapy, you have to go in every week to get shots. I imagine the amount of work loss, the amount of weight you have to do. And I'm just curious what the compliance is for this, because every week, and this is people who are in their 30s or 40s, right? Or maybe, maybe even a bit younger, Every week going to titrate. I don't know if you have any compliance data in the US, but I'm sure it's it's much lower than taking your statin for cholesterol or whatever how the medication is. Um, do you have any idea? Like, how bad is the compliance? Do you have any idea there? I couldn't really find yeah. any data. So I think obviously, depending on the study you cite, there can be varying numbers. But unfortunately, we find that the compliance is only between you know 60 to 70% for patients doing shots. So almost half of the patients are unable to complete it. And that's because there's sort of two main populations of people who do shots. One is kids. Kids get allergies. 
and their allergies are terrible and their parents are trying to prevent these allergies from turning into things like asthma and eczema and other airway related diseases. And then, as you mentioned, there's people, there's a second peak of people who are young adults or sometimes as they get older in their thirties and forties, they will also develop allergies. And what we find is that if you're a parent and you're trying to juggle soccer class and ballet classes and school, and maybe another kid who has a different pickup time, it's really hard to take a patient into a doctor's office once a week to get a shot. And then, as you mentioned, for busy professionals, it's also really challenging for professionals who have a job to go in and take that time off every week from work. In fact, that's actually how I was introduced to sublingual immunotherapy. I was in my medical residency and I was doing a surgical residency. And for those who aren't aware, surgical residency in the United States is pretty intense in terms of the hours. And I wanted to take the time off once a week to go get shots, but it was really hard for me to find that time, even with my schedule as a doctor. And so that's how I was introduced to sublingual immunotherapy as a method that I could use at home without having to go, you know, leave my hospital and get shots every week. So this brings me to another question. How, how long has this been, how long has this existed? Uh, because we're sort of started hearing more about it now, but I'm assuming it's been there for a long, long time or. Yeah. So immunotherapy right. as a yeah. category actually started the earliest reports are around 1903. Yeah. There were, okay. right. there were researchers who were basically giving oral doses of hay to farmhands to decrease their hay fever. And they realized that a small dose over time was desensitizing people from hay fever and improving their abilities to work out in the fields. And over time, the oral immunotherapy was actually the original way that it was administered. Interesting. And then later on, we started doing injection immunotherapy. And some of that might have been due to that was just what we understood. Some of that was also due to financial incentives, right? That was something a physician could bill for. And it was in 19, in the United States, it was 1986 when the FDA sort of, um, or maybe that's not the exact date, but around the 80s, the FDA approved, they grandfathered in these allergy extracts. And when they did the approval, they only did the approval for shots because that was the prevailing method at that time. And so that has, that, decision that the FDA made many years ago has sort of had ripple downstream wow. effects in the United States for years. But in 1986, the British, uh, I think it's the Committee on Medicine, realized that there are a number of people who had died. I think it was 26 individuals died in England from allergy shots leading to anaphylaxis, meaning a bad allergy response where you can almost die. And so that's when the research started to begin on how can we go back to maybe doing this safer? So between the 80s and the 90s, a lot of researchers in Europe were looking for a different way. And I think they investigated both in, you know, having people inhale it through the nose, but that was of course leading to really bad allergy symptoms. They investigated a number of techniques and they ultimately settled on doing it under the tongue where you could get some of the benefits of absorption through the oral mucosa, but you also didn't have these bad allergy reactions. And in 2000, the World Health Organization adopted sublingual immunotherapy as a, as a validated means of therapy for allergies. It still somehow didn't come to the United States until 2014, which Crazy. is when we started getting the FDA-approved tablets. But what you saw in the US is researchers at major academic centers were learning from the European colleagues, and they were starting to do sublingual in research centers. And around the world, you see sublingual being used frequently. And I think a lot of that has to do with differences in the healthcare system. Our healthcare system is a fee-for-service healthcare system. So in some ways, you know, the incentives are set up so that you want to have the patients come into the physician's office. 
In European healthcare systems, oftentimes it's more of a preventative healthcare system, right? They're trying not to have the doctor's time be used. And so they're much more inclined to use a home-based therapy um, than because they're not billing based on how many times you come to the office. It's it's funny because it's with it, for service as well in Canada, and it's the same. Like it's almost like this therapy didn't exist until a couple of years ago. It's so funny. I th- I thought it was new, but it's a hundred. I mean, it's a hundred years old, really. Yeah, this it's is more a, than that. It's a pretty tried and true method, and wow. we have data dating back to 1986 on the sublingual method that we all use today. And um, and there's been two Cochrane reviews, which are uh, independent evidence based reviews of all the studies. And both of them, one in 2013 and another in 2010, have found that it's um, effective and safe for use in allergic conjunctival rhinovitis. So from what I understand is you can you can go with tablet or you can go with the a solution, but tablet is the only one that's been approved in DF. I'm assuming can actually can yeah. as well. Yeah. Is yeah. This, so is there a reason or yes. And again, okay. it's just due to it seems to be associated with the economics. So what we found is in other countries, there are more tablets that are available because the allergists are more willing to use it. So the traditional method was we would take those same extracts that we use for shots and we would custom compound them into a drop that you could take under the tongue. And that is still a method that most academic centers in the United States are doing because that's what we have available. The benefit of doing a drop is you can actually combine and tailor it custom to a patient's specific allergy. So if you have a cat, uh, ragweed, and a dust mite allergy, we can make a combined drop and you can take it once a day at home. Based on the success of the drops, the pharmaceutical companies decided, hey, there's got to be a way that we can kind of participate in this success. And so in the US, they have had FDA approval for a tablet for ragweed, for dust mite, um, and grass. They have not done tablets for cat and mold, wow. and tree. But those tablets are available in other parts of the world because in those parts of the world, physicians are more incentivized to utilize these tablets. And so it's worth it for them to spend the money to go through the FDA. What's a challenge is, is the extracts, the, the pharmaceutical companies don't have much of an incentive to approve or reapprove the extracts for use under the tongue because those extracts were made, they were approved already for use in humans for shots. And so because doctors are already using them under the tongue, it would be a lot of cost for them that they wouldn't be able to recoup to do an FDA trial and get that approval. And so that's why it feels to us as physicians that they decided to make a different route, you know, a tablet. And and also in some ways the tablets are easier and and get that approval for a sort of a different mechanism, which they can then, you know, hopefully recoup their investment. And so we're really excited about the fact that there are tablets coming on. Obviously in the United States, we're hoping that they can ultimately make tablets for all the allergens. So we can, you know, again, custom tailor the solution. And then one thing as, as a US allergist that's sort of challenging and frustrating us is there are tablets, like there's a tree tablet that is available in other parts of the world. It's widely used and safely used in Europe, but we don't have access to it here in the United States. So if I have a patient who has a tree allergy, I can't get insurance coverage for their tree allergy tablets. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So one of the reasons to go with subcutaneous is because of red tape, really, because you don't have access to those specific tablets and the solution. Yeah, and, and that's actually why we at Winley use the custom compounded allergy drops, because oh, that geez. allows us to give patients that same custom Amazing. tailoring. The challenge is it's just not covered by insurance. And so what we have done through our telehealth program is we've found a way to drive the prices down to where it's about the same cost for patients as if they were doing shots but it's markedly easier because they're able to take it under the tongue at home. 
Oh, you can. I was that was my question because I was looking at at some of the available products. I was like, well, that's that's very limiting. You know, <laughs> there's no cats. So yeah. many people allergic to cats, right? But you guys actually do the old school uh, compounding and customizing. Oh, that's even great, great, greater than I thought. That's that's amazing. So, but but I guess if you compare the two, just in terms of efficacy, forget about compliance. I'm assuming compliance is pretty good with the solutions. Yeah, is the efficacy equal to the subcutaneous? Yeah, and so there's a great article that actually just came out in the American Academy of Otolaryngology's bulletin. It was actually just out on May 1st, so just a couple of days ago, that compares the studies and the data between both shots that are subcutaneous and sublingual immunotherapy, either in a drop or a tablet format. And what you see is that while there has never been a head-to-head trial, right. because it would be challenging to do that study, from the data we have, they have about similar outcomes. And what we found is sublingual tends to have higher compliance because it's just easier for patients to take it at home. And so it's been really great because ultimately what we find is you want to do what patients prefer to do. And and that's really our goals is I think allergy shots are an incredible therapy and I recommend them for many of my patients. And for some things like venom allergies, it's the only way. But for patients who have environmental allergies to trees or grasses or pollens or dust mites or a number of things, if they don't want to get shots, Part of our goal and our mission here at Winley is just to let patients know there's a different way that they can feel better and that they don't have to take antihistamines like Claritin or Zyrtec or Flonase for the rest of their life. Uh, does it does it taste good? Do you have different flavors? <laughs> so we actually at Winley do not use flavoring. Oh, yeah. Part good. Is because we really, because this right. is a medication, right? We're giving yeah. you what you're allergic to. And so we <laughs> want patients to treat it like a medication. Yeah. And we have some concerns, for, especially because we have a lot of children that use this. Right. If they make it bubblegum flavored, maybe they'll take right. an extra drop. And again, you want to dose this the same way yep. you do surreal medication. Thankfully, you know, sublingual immunotherapy is effectively just pollen and, and glycerin, which is essentially sugar water. So, you know, thankfully it's a pretty natural, safe medication, but the dosing needs to be done appropriately. And so we don't flavor it. it uh, you know, I'll be honest, my cat medication tasted a little bit earthy. It wasn't the best, but it's okay. Gotcha. Three drops a day, and I was able to tolerate it. And speaking of risks, uh, um, so what is because I, I guess the way you guys are set up is this is at home, done at home. What is the risk of anaphylaxis? Like, yeah, so this has been studied widely since 1986 when sublingual immunotherapy started. There's only been 11 documented cases in the whole world of anaphylaxis, wow. so that's really not that many. And so, based on the cases and based on the estimated risk. Uh, there's a great paper out of Johns Hopkins University, which is a big medical university here in the United States, that said the risk of anaphylaxis with sublingual immunotherapy is effectively one in 100 million. When the FDA did their trials for the sublingual tablets, there were no fatalities and nobody had anaphylaxis, but we still want to be totally safe. So we tell our patients, you know, your first dose has to be observed um, just to make sure that first time you're exposed to that medication, there's no risk of an anaphylactic response. And we also make sure all of our patients are well-trained in the use of an EpiPen. Now, perhaps that's a little bit overkill to give everyone an EpiPen, but you know, our job as physicians is to first do no harm. So we require that. Yeah, exactly. Um, that was my, my big question. The other things I was reading about is apparently you, you cannot take them if they're severe asthma. Is this evidence-based or is it just sort of, does it increase asthma? Yeah, so symptoms. there are a couple of types of patients who are not good candidates for sublingual immunotherapy. Thankfully, it's pretty rare. Most patients are really good candidates, but if your asthma is uncontrolled, then we have some concerns that if we're giving you what you're allergic to, it could trigger your asthma 
and you can have a bad, a bad asthma attack. So we typically would want you to work with your provider and get your asthma to where it's controlled so that you're not you know, going to have both an allergy attack and an asthma attack. The other contraindications, the other types of patients that are not good candidates are patients who maybe have uncontrolled eczema, meaning that we, you know, again, the allergy immunotherapy could, could trigger their eczema. And so we want to make sure their eczema gets controlled before we start it. And then there's a couple of rare diseases like eosinophilic esophagitis and mast cell dysfunction where we, again, don't do it. Thankfully, these are all pretty rare. And so what we've found is the majority of patients with allergies are really good candidates to fix their allergies using immunotherapy. And what about this? This is a question I get, and I'm confused about. It, but what about pregnancy? Is there any issues? Yeah. Like if somebody gets pregnant while they're taking this, do you yeah. have to stop? So, or? so thankfully, with we've learned from both shots and sublingual tablets that it's okay to continue taking this while you're pregnant. Right? This treatment tends to take about three years, sometimes five years, depending on your allergies. And we would not expect any woman in her childbearing age to not get pregnant for five years. So what we right. tell them is if you are already on maintenance and your body has shown that it's safe with this dosage, you can absolutely continue. And we do that for both shots and tablets and drops. The only thing that we're all hesitant for is we wouldn't want to bring a new exposure in of allergy extracts when you're just pregnant. So if you're pregnant, it's not a good time to start. And we just tell patients, listen, you know, it stinks to suffer through for nine months, but as soon as you're done, we can get you started. There's no concerns about this stuff getting into breast milk in an unsafe way or anything like that. It's essentially just pollen and water. And so we'll start patients as soon as they're no longer pregnant. But if you have already begun and you've built up to your maintenance dose, it's absolutely safe to continue once you're Excellent. pregnant. And do people just, because you mentioned that obviously if you take it intranasally, you get the allergy symptoms, but do people get some sort of issue in sublingually? Do they get pruritus yeah. or swelling or? Yeah, there's certainly a population of patients somewhere between five to maybe 15 or 20% of patients who will notice some initial side effects as they start therapy because we're giving you what you're allergic to. So some people will have a little bit of itching under the tongue or maybe a little bit of swelling. What we found is that if you take antihistamines in the beginning, like Claritin or Zyrtec in the beginning, it damps down those symptoms. And then generally, as you continue on in therapy, those symptoms will you know subside. Okay. Okay, so just localized issues. Most of them are, are fine. All right, so so that's great. So let's uh, let's sort of shift then to Windley a bit. And I'm going to assume that what inspired you to do this is just the access issue, right? Or am I, am I wrong? Yeah, so the access it, sucks. The access yeah. stinks. And yeah, I think what inspired me is you know my personal journey with this is you know my I had a really bad cat allergy. So bad so that I would, you know, have like really just like scary kind of reactions and swelling kind of things. And I wanted to get treatment, but it was so inconvenient for me with my life that I was like, there has to be a better way. And then I learned about this better way. And it sort of drove me nuts that this better way was not more popular. Right. right? right. And and so I it kind of it it irked me because at some point my wife was like, you know, if you hadn't been a doctor, you wouldn't have even known this was available. And that yeah. that bothered me. And so we brought this to our local practice. And I think what sort of spurned the beginning of Whitley though, is we were doing this in our local practice, right? Our physical office here in Denver, um, which is state in the United States and Colorado, sorry, it's a city in Colorado, which is state in the US. We were doing sublingual. But what happened is during the pandemic, many of our patients were really worried about taking shots. And so some patients were concerned about coming in to get shots. So we switched a lot of patients from shots to sublingual. And you can do that, right? You can literally switch from shots to immunotherapy wow. 
by the tongue because it's it's essentially the same medication. Right. And so, so many of our patients switched and they were doing it via telehealth and they were really enjoying the experience. They were just like, man, this is so much more convenient, right? I mean, we have patients who do their check-ins from their their car in the, you know, while they're picking up their kid. And that's just so much more convenient for patients, right? Um, I have patients who see me from their computer at work and that way they don't have to leave work to do this. Wow. So excellent. Yeah. We realized that this was a method that patients really wanted in Colorado. And so that's why we created the the new company and sort of expanded by telehealth to be in all 50 states. Yeah. I mean, as, as horrible as COVID was, it's, it's put so much innovation in healthcare. I think healthcare needed a bit of a, of that like push. But that that's great. So how old is Wintley? Like I guess a couple two three years really. If you're yeah, yeah. So we started in uh, winter of 2021. I think we really first started seeing patients around April of 2021, and through that year we were more localized. And in 2022 we started um, expanding to seeing patients more around the country with our partner physicians who are licensed around the country. And then this year we've had just like a really big spring. Um, but you know, a lot of patients ask us, like, "Oh, so you're new?" But you know, the physical office we have here, where we all this started from, really started in Denver, 1962. So it's a pretty old practice. And you know, for 10 years we've been here locally. It's just again, telehealth has been so interesting because it allows you know a small practice locally to expand to become a larger practice across the country. Uh, I just, I just going back to you would have never known as a doctor this existed. I, I didn't know it existed. I'm a doctor, so I, I'm. I'm glad yeah. that the word's spreading. And so let's talk about the patient experience. Let's say I'm a new patient and I'm interested in this. So how does it work exactly? What happens? I, I call you guys. I, I book online. How, what's the what's the process? Yeah. So we try to make it incredibly easy. It's a three-step process. So patients can simply come to our website, which is windley.com, W-Y-N-D-L-Y.com. At that on the website, they can simply purchase a home allergy test kit, which we ship directly to their house. They wow. can take that test at home, ship it back in a prepaid label, and it goes to a lab where it gets processed. And we're able to then analyze that to get a better sense of what their allergies are. We so then have the patients- In home, people can yeah. do this in home. Wow. Yeah, it's a finger prick test. And it's really good. And the technology just improved so much now to where blood testing has been shown to be just really sensitive and wow. specific. Okay. Then we meet with them online. And we go over their allergy results as well as their history, right? The most important thing about allergy is the history. It's not the testing. And that's something I think people forget. Allergy testing is supposed to be confirmatory. And that's what all of our evidence-based guidelines say. You really want to focus on the patient's history and make sure it makes sense. And then you use the test results to confirm. And based on that, then our doctors will come up with a personalized treatment plan, right? So if you have a cat allergy and a mold allergy, that's the only things we need to treat you with. Now, even if you tested positive to trees, if you don't have symptoms in the spring, that's not really what we want to focus on. We want to focus on what matters to you. After we have that, we set you up with your medications. Those come to your house. You can take them from home. And we just make sure we do everything in the safest manner to get you through the therapy. And most of our patients then work with us for about three years, checking in every three to six months. And then once we know that they're feeling better and they're off their antihistamines, we complete their therapy. And so we've had some of our patients complete therapy these are patients that had start, you know, Whitley hasn't been around for the full year. So these are patients that started in our physical office, but it's been really exciting that they've switched over to our online platform and they've completed therapy and they're already feeling better. That's, that's so, that, that, I mean, I'm just, I'm amazed. <laughs> that's, that's so great. So, so really it's, uh, you do the test, you get one appointment where you get a diagnosis, you get another one where you watch them administer the first dose. And I guess well, we set them up to do that with their primary care locally. Oh. Yeah. Or you, and you get an EpiPen through yeah. you to the primary care. 
And then you just check up on them uh, once or twice a year, depending on the symptoms. Wow. Okay. I mean, that's great. I, it's, it's my wife has to, has to get the shots and like, yep. I, I know personally she would love this. Yeah. So, uh, but you guys are in the U S yeah. right now, which is, uh, which is why I sort of, you know, if anybody of our listeners knows how to help bring this to Canada, just, just send me an email or connect, I mean, LinkedIn. Yeah. We'd love I, to connect. Yeah. We obviously would love to expand into Canada. We have colleagues who are running healthcare companies up there. Um, but right now, our, you know, our focus is in the U S and we'd love to then expand because again, Anywhere people feel like there's not a good amount of access, I think it's a, just a great way to use. It's a great use case for telehealth. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Telehealth is not good for everything. Nope. But it's great for some things, and this is one of them. And what a great, what a great idea! And I, I, I do you guys offer it? Both you said through all fifty states, you're offering this the service. Yes. Okay. So you have, I guess, you have different. Um, we partner with physicians. Okay, yeah, we have gotcha. physicians who are licensed in every state who work with us. Okay. Well, I mean, again, thank you for coming on. I mean, yeah. This this is great. I'm so excited to learn about this. I, I hope this comes. I have no idea it was such an old technology and it's it's safe. I mean, it's the same thing as the the shot. You're just giving it in a different manner, actually. Yeah. That's that's yeah. Uh, so thank you for your time. Yeah, no, thank and you for again, having us. To all great. our listeners, please, if you have any ideas how to bring this to Canada, just just send me an email see if you can make it happen. But but thank you, Dr. Shah. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon.